Welcome on Into Be The One. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bonnie. And today we have an awesome guest who has just returned from live TV with Bonnie and is now here speaking to us, Patty Thayer of the Michigan Sheriff's Association Victim Service Unit, and she is their coordinator. Welcome. Thank you. It is so exciting to see you. And today we have you in full Michigan Sheriff garb, so... I'm a little intimidated, if that's okay. But I mean, in a good way, in a good way, uh, uh, you know, authority. No, no, I give no tickets. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I'm Never so mind. grateful Aaron will be on his best behavior Absolutely. today. Yes, yes. None of the usual shenanigans. So let's just, you know, kind of dive right in. People, you know, just heard, hey, uh, a victim service unit. What does that do? What do you do for the Michigan Sheriff? So we are victim advocates. And we have 52 VSUs, which stands for Victim Service Units. And within each VSU, there are volunteer advocates. What we do is when the police are on a scene, and usually it is a death scene of some sort. Uh, It can be a natural death, a suicide, a homicide, a fatal car crash. When the family needs assistance, they call our group in. And we normally try and respond in groups of two. And we will go directly to wherever the police are asking us to go, whether it's the home or the hospital or the scene, if it's on a highway or something. And we help the family. So the police are doing their work. And we are called in to help the family because a lot of times the family feels very left out. They don't understand what's going on. They have questions. So we're kind of the liaison between the police and the family. And we're constantly checking in, finding out what's going on for them. Say like if we're at the emergency department at the hospital, once the death notification is given and it's always by a uniformed officer, then we step in and we help the family. The victim service units actually began in 1985. Correct. Um, Because I I have such a personal relationship with, you know, having lost a loved one to death by suicide. And, you know, especially 17 years ago when we swept things under the rug. And since my husband was in the hospital for four days, I had the sheriff's department two officers come in and visit me. And it was one of the most difficult experiences for me because I felt like I was being interrogated. And I felt like my husband was being so judged at that moment. And it was such a confusing and devastating time for me. And it's one of the reasons and one of the passions I have to be able to support you and your work. And I want to thank you because I feel like in these past 17 years, your work has just grown. And and our partnership started because you had one of your advocates reach out because they wanted updated resources. So thank you for having in the compassion and wanting to understand and doing something with judgment, without judgment and doing something with compassion in love. So I really appreciate that. Tell me about why 
you agreed to kind of support, uh, allow us to support you and your work. So suicide is one of the hardest calls to go on. Um, there's so many emotions of the family. Unlike either a natural death or, let's say, a fatal car crash or something like that where it's, there's, there's a reason. You know it was an accident or somebody was, was ill and death was coming soon. With suicide, it's usually never expected. People are left with questions that will usually never get answered. There is rarely uh, a note left behind. If there is a note, it doesn't make any sense, usually. There's such a need for understanding of mental illness. And with COVID, I believe the, the need is, is stronger. There's so much going on right now. There's so much depression. There's so much unknown. People are home alone and they're not getting out. And, uh, you know, we're human beings. We're just social people. And I think that when, when you contacted me and wanted to know more about our, our program, it was like the, the light went off. There was never a question in my mind of you supporting us. It was something that, it was just such a blessing that this was going to come to the forefront. This was going to be discussed. We are going to talk about this. We are going to take the stigma away. Um, I don't know why there is so much stigma associated with mental illness. I don't know why. Suicide is a completely different set of stigma. It's with it comes shame and embarrassment and with just so many questions. But like you said, it was like being interrogated by the police and that should never happen. You're, you're dealing with, with so much grief at that moment. You need somebody along your side to understand mm -hmm. and, and give you compassion and love and and understand that most suicide victims, they don't want to end their life, they want to end the pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that. Mm -hmm. They just want the pain to end. And that is the behind our definition petition, you know, let's change this conversation and no pain, no suicides. And I think that when you, you know, we're talking and hopefully this will change within, within the advocates and with our community. Um, the more we talk is that, you know, there is a reason. There's always a reason behind a suicide death. We don't talk about it because it's dark, it's scary. And the words are, are often used, well, he killed himself. And you know what, the, the illness won. The illness took over, the illness won, and we now know that, that we can die from the flu. So why can't we talk about mental health illness and add pain to that? Because you don't have to have a diagnosed mental health illness to have pain. And pain comes from places like bullying, financial devastation, the fear of the unknown with, with COVID, and all of these things. So if we recognize that in somebody else, it's up to us then to let's reach out, let's ask the question so we can maybe help reduce their pain and dissect that pain and get to the root and the cause of that pain. I can only imagine watching what these families go through, these mothers, fathers, the toll it takes on you, your group, 
how do you train for that? How do you make it so that it doesn't inflict like a, a kind of permanent or personal pain on you? Because, you know, you've got to be a very empathetic person to want to do something like this, to want to help others. And as empathetic people, just taking on all that emotion, uh, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. So what are some things that you do to make sure that you're not kind of pushed toward that edge yourself, seeing so much devastation as you're helping people through it? We have an initial 20-hour training to even become a victim advocate. So when people are interested, they they contact their local sheriff's office or their city police department to see if they have a VSU. And a background check is done, and then they attend a 20-hour new advocate training. We hold those throughout the state throughout the year. The training is good in the sense that kind of gives a really broad bird's eye view of what we do. But until you are on a call with a family that has just been given devastating news, I will not lie, some of these calls affect us. It, you can't do this job and, and go home and just, oh, just another day. Throughout the years, I've, I've been an advocate for 19 years, there are certain calls that will just grip me. What we try and do is we try and um, talk with each other, usually after the call, and it's called we debrief each other. Whether we sit in the car together or we'll go out for coffee or something after the call, sometimes we have to bring the professionals in. And we have a psychologist who works for the state police and I was in a huge debriefing. It only happened once in 19 years, thank God. But this call was, I was, I was gripped with fear myself and I didn't know the family. It was gripping everyone else too. It was a, a deputy with our, uh, with our sheriff's office and um, he was killed in a car crash. It gripped the entire sheriff's office. It gripped the community. They knew that something was going on. I knew that something was going on. I, it's just one of those that you think about it all day long. I took a ham to the family. I, you know, like, I don't normally do that, but it was just one of those calls. The sheriff recognized that, that his people were hurting, and so he brought in the psychologist, and we sat around, and it was just the first responders who were involved. It wasn't the entire sheriff's office. It was just, just the first responders. And he would ask questions, and he would, he would go around the room, and you could talk or you could pass. To see the amount of grief in that room, and everybody had a different take on it. Everybody, we all saw the same thing, at the scene, but everybody had a different take on it. It was, it was really amazing. Some things affected me more than other things. Some things I didn't even see where my, my partner who was with me on the scene, she was bringing things up and I never even saw those things. So it's amazing what the human brain can, can do. Uh, it can protect you in a lot of ways, but after that debriefing and going around the room and seeing the, we shared, we just shared a grief 
And I left that debriefing like a new person. I should have done it uh, on a couple other calls that have really gripped me. So what we do, and we talk about this in training, is if we feel that a call is gripping us, we will debrief with each other, of course. If it continues, then we are instructed to contact our liaison at the sheriff's office, and then they will put us in touch with, with some professional help. Thank goodness it hasn't happened very often, but you cannot do this job and just go home and act like nothing happened. It's, um, you are compassionate. You're very empathetic to the family. Most of the families you don't know, but you, you can feel their grief. You can, just as a human being, you can just feel the pain that they're in. And as, as much as we try and help at the scene or at the hospital or at the home, usually we'll do a follow-up call like the next day and, you know, just check in and, you know, see how you're doing. Do you have any other questions? Because there's always questions. So, you know, I just had a thought when you said that uh, in regards to the follow-up calls that you make to the mm -hmm. family. I had once read an article that said that after an incident perhaps maybe a mental health crisis or a different type of incident, the chance of attempting a suicide, a, a suicide attempt again, lessens 80% because of that connection that you feel and the connection, like instead, the officers aren't judging me, they're here to help me. And it, it becomes such a relief to the family or to that person, just validating how important those follow-up calls are and you may not even know the difference that you're making when you go to that follow-up call yeah i think a lot of people who are experiencing the pain one of the common things that i'm hearing is that they felt that they were a burden to somebody because they had so much pain within themselves they they could not even understand how somebody would want to help them or be in their life they feel that Ending it would end the burden yeah. on their loved ones. And it's you, the total opposite. Yeah, you know what? It's so interesting that you bring that up because I run a support group as well. And one of the things that we talk to on a, about on a regular basis, and for me, the hundreds of people that I have talked to, survivors and those that have had lost, is they felt like they were a burden to their family. Mm -hmm. And in, in a strange way, the, the person that is in that pain um, is believing that their family would be better off without them. And actually, it's hard concept to understand, but this is an act of love to the family. And, and it's a real different outlook and a real different spin on it. But that word burden is one of the most commonly words that I hear after. So thank you for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. We have recognized because we understand the importance and the courage and the compassion that it takes. So we have provided each, all 574 advocates with a Con Courage and Compassion Award as a thank you. But also we had given, we have given them the book, I Understand Pain, Love and Healing After Suicide, because that's really the basis behind our involvement together. What do you think is, what was the number one takeaway after you reading that book and why you felt it was important to be a part of your toolkit? The book was exceptional. 
I read it when it wasn't even in print and I read it in a PDF format on my phone and I couldn't put it down. I wish I had read that book 20 years ago and it helped me become a better advocate. I was experiencing it through a different set of lenses and I had never done that before. When we're called to a scene, we're there to help and when I read your book, it, it put me in a different seat. It was looking at it from a wife's perspective, from your children's perspective. Usually we're not on the scene very long. We're there for just the immediate crisis. And, you know, we're trying to uh, help people navigate the waters of just those initial few hours. Once family members start showing up and they, you know, they're getting support and we see that, okay, they've got support. We will excuse ourselves because really we are strangers in the home and as good as we can be, we are, we're not family. So we will excuse ourselves. But your book was looking at it from, from their perspective. It wasn't my perspective of helping. I'm here to help. What can I do? You have to do this. Let's, let's go through the checklist of there's 10 things we need to do right now. The, the aftermath, the, the grief that you were going through, the things that you were experiencing, I never, I never knew some of those things. Or it was, it was new. Like I said, it was a new set of lenses. When you gave us our advocates the, uh, the award in the book, I understand also gave extra books to each unit so that we, when we're on a scene or a call or whatever, we can, we can leave these books with the families. And they may not read that book that night, probably not. They're not gonna read the book probably within the next couple of weeks, but that book is there and we tell them that this book is, is helpful and when you can, can come up for a breath, here is a book that will help you. And it's, it's amazing to leave. We, we leave all kinds of resources behind. We leave websites and, and brochures and things like that. But to be able to leave a book of somebody who experienced what you're going through, it's priceless. I have chills and a, and a little bit of teary-eyed because it sometimes it's really hard to to look at your your story, write it down, have have the courage to share it because it was such a difficult subject. But knowing that it has made a difference helps bring clarity to journeys, which is why I think it's so important that it is to share stories, and that's why we do what we do. So as we finish up today, what is one thing that you would like our listeners to take away the big takeaway is mental illness is real and it needs to be talked about when people think they're a burden they need to reach out they just need that one person to just be the one and just listen and I say so many times tomorrow is a new day your your problems may still be here but a good night's sleep or just having somebody walk beside you and just listen. Brighter days are ahead. If you're experiencing depression, 
mental illness, please just reach out. Please think of your family and reach out to them because somebody does love you and somebody will be the one. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that too, I think it's important to say, if you're the one who gets that phone call, please, please, please listen to that person. Mm-hmm. All too often we say, oh, well, it's nothing. You'll be fine. Just suck it up. You have to listen because if somebody's saying something like I'm a burden or I need the pain to stop, they are in a very dangerous place and you need to listen to them. Go over there. And honestly, if if they're really pushing it and they're really talking about suicidal ideations, call 911. Absolutely. Get someone out there. But if I could just add one more thing to, to add to the importance of the conversation is recognizing where the pain is coming from. And I think that if you follow, I understand, read the book, you're going to understand the whys so much better. And that's what we need to do. And we need to get that out there and we need to talk about it. So thank you for your, your beautiful testament and, and for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Patty Thayer, the Michigan Sheriff's Association Victim Service Unit Coordinator, and all that you do. We greatly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. And I just want to take a moment to thank Kim Rontala for being with us today as our producer. And also, if you are struggling, please reach out to 1-800-273-TALK and follow us on Instagram, like our Facebook page. And for more information, www. I understand loveheals.org. Got some work to do 